I am a little bit of a pessimist, and you are. You know, well, we know that. But that's my job. You're supposed to bring the positivity here. Munster are not one of the best teams in the world at the moment. The Red Seventy Eight with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. Our performances have just lacked that intensity. Boom. Right. In the red. Is there anywhere else we can start with? Uh, at the moment, you call it Monster Rugby. I thought we'd save Monster for full-on Quinny debrief. Uh, I've got to start with the Republic of Ireland. There's no way around this. It was a dire second-half performance in particular and a massive setback for any momentum that had been built over the last year and raises all sorts of questions as to where this group are going, how realistic qualification for Euro 2024 is and all the positivity that we thought was there and that we were only heading in one direction. It came to a pretty shuddering halt in the heat in Yerevan on Saturday night. So, yes, Republic of Ireland very much in the red. It's our fault, Nathan. It is our fault, judging from my Twitter feed and from uh, the general text and uh, people getting in touch with us ever since this uh, defeat. It's because, um, you know, we anointed Stephen Kenny as the Republic of Ireland manager and we were the only ones who thought that he was uh, the man for the job. And so, therefore, Team OTB needs to take this one on the chin. Absolutely. Listen, that's uh, clearly a load of bollocks. And I think you only have to look at how the Irish public have bought into what Stephen Kenny is trying to do with ticket sales and season tickets and just the general belief that this young group is something that people should get behind the connection that is there between Stephen Kenny and the League of Ireland. There's, There's been a bit of a sea change in attitudes towards internal Irish football over the last year. But you have to win games and you have to win games like this. I don't think it'll ever be acceptable for Ireland not to beat Armenia, regardless of where they are. Much like I didn't think it would ever be acceptable for Ireland not to beat Luxembourg or to lose at home to Luxembourg. The Nations League is set up so you're playing teams of similar quality. And Armenia earned their place by getting promoted. And if you look at the Nations League, Ireland really should be in League C at this stage. And Armenia should be in League B because we should have been relegated. It was only by a quirk of UEFA that we ended up staying here. But Armenia's form really since promotion has collapsed. Remember, they conceded nine goals against Norway. They conceded five against North Macedonia. So even if you ignore the Norway game, this is not a team of great quality. Henrik Mkhitaryan has retired from international football. But in the second half, they played us off the park. And all of the errors of the early part of the Stephen Kenny reign, which we sort of wrote off because of COVID and the constant changes team, they, they all seem to come back. Can I just that tease that out? Because I, 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 I think we should be as accurate as possible here. It doesn't feel like they played us off the park, right? I, I think like, in the second half, they were a with, lot better. Sorry. I actually think that the problem here is if... Um, so Ireland's style has evolved over the last 18 months. We've, we've become a more direct team. We, have, we had Gavin Cooney on the show on, on Friday night and he was talking about we actually pass the ball less now than we did at the start of Kenny's regime. Um, it, it feels specifically that the challenge that we face when, we're, when we are the better team, because we were still, sorry, when we are the team who is in control of the ball more often than not. And that was still the case in the second half. Like we still controlled the ball more than they did. But that's the problem, is that we don't have any creativity. We don't have a number 10. Like, we, we could still be playing there now, and it feels like unless Ogbeni scores uh, from the free header at the end of the first half, or unless John Egan scores a header, which would be a good, a good goal, like a really good 
headed goal from a, a corner kick that we weren't going to score from open play. And it's against these teams who are solid, put a bank of players behind the ball and aren't that ambitious. So I, I would say they didn't play us off the park. They did exactly what they needed to do, which was not very much, which is kind of worse. So Ireland had 70% possession uh, in that game. But I think in the second half, Armenia were by far, far the better team. They were happy to have... Ireland having the ball because as you say they knew they weren't going to do anything with it and every time Armenia won the ball back they looked dangerous and some of the errors in the Armenian half were beyond a joke there was at one stage I think it was Jason Knight played a short ball across to Jeff Hendrick he sent it five yards away Hendrick sort of leaves it a half dummy for Cullen but Cullen isn't ready for it and out of nothing they break and your three your midfielders are gone gone instantly and that happened countless times simple passes so whether that's a technical ability of the players that they're just not good enough under a bit of pressure to pick out the right ball at the right time or is it the system that the players around them aren't in the right place at the right time and option three is that uh, Hendrick's not playing any football and and that like you know he's a key player for for us he's played that friendly I think and that's all the football that he's played in the last six months, basically? Pretty much. He's had one start. Uh, he, he, when he went to Queen's Park Rangers first, he got some games. But in, in the last few months, he's had one game. But again, it, it, and I, I agree with all that. And we can make the case. And you can go through that Irish team. Like Shane Duffy hasn't played any football in the last four months. Uh, you know, Nathan Collins has had a good run, but still, that was his first competitive start. Uh, Enda Stevens has had injury problems. Seamus Coleman, you know, really seemed to struggle at times. Uh, Hendrick, as you say, hasn't played anywhere near enough football. And the front three, you know, Ogben is coming from League One. Callum Robinson hasn't been playing a huge amount of football. Troy Parrott's coming from League One as a very young, inexperienced player. So you can make excuses for the quality, but... You know, Stephen Kenny has said himself right from day one, I'm never going to say we don't have the players. So we have to accept the players are who they are. And I thought Hendrick at times in the first half, you know, was playing the right ball and was doing the right thing. And maybe it is the lack of match fitness in that heat. He just collapsed completely in the second half. Has he had a contract now or is there another season? No, there's he, he was talking last week saying that uh, while he will go back to Newcastle pre-season, he doesn't, I don't think he expects to stay at Newcastle for next season so listen Hendrick is a lightning rod for criticism when it comes to this Ireland team I think it's overplayed at times but he needs to get football like I, I'm not criticising here for not for playing badly in the game I'm, I'm like he, he needs to play football and, and if Ireland are going to qualify for a tournament we actually need 20 players playing week in week out at whatever their level is and that's going to give us an opportunity to pick players who are in form as opposed to well Hendrick's in the team because actually if he's not in the team who then is in the team well, the alternative is you play Alan Brown. Uh, but Hendrick has been one of the best players under Stephen Kenny. So he obviously wants to put his trust in him. And Kenny's been trying to figure that out constantly as to that balance of players he knows and can trust and have experience and the guys who are playing first-team football. And I think he learned that in terms of the defeat against Luxembourg, uh, where he played players quite quickly after, was it the game against Serbia, and they weren't fully fit and they couldn't play two games in four days. That's why I think we'll see probably plenty of changes tomorrow night. But... The first half performance was decent, and the front three all looked dangerous at times, and it was really good movement, and while it wasn't perfect and it wasn't outstanding, you sort of felt, and they'll get a goal early in the second half, and they'll kick on from here. But it must be hugely worrying for Stephen Kenny, for everybody, how that second half went. Because I know you're saying they didn't play them off the park, but Ireland never looked like scoring, and Armenia looked like scoring no, every I, time I, they so went forward. Il Pastino 88 says, let's not rewrite history. Armenia completely dominated the second half. We had zero threat. My point isn't that I'm rewriting history. It's that actually we have a very specific problem, is that you can, you can decide as a team, if you're not a very good team, to give us the ball, and we're not able to break you down. So that's almost... So it, it's not that... 
I'm saying we dominated second half. We had more of the ball. We just have no creativity or it seems at the moment no clear idea of what we're going to do when we have that ball to try and inflict a game that's going to be damaging on the opposition. And that's the most worrying thing for me. So I'm not in any way excusing things. I just don't think that like the characterization of it um, you just need to be careful because every bad team who ever plays against us now is going to watch what Armenia did and I'm not saying they're all going to score worldies from 35 yards Well but the last three bad teams that we've played have all scored worldies against us uh, Listen this might sound like the most stupid comment of all time but every time I've watched Ireland and they haven't played well it always feels like we need 12 players it always feels like we need three centre-backs or we look open at the back and we need an extra midfielder and that's what I felt the last day that do we need three centre-backs? Shane Duffy had way too much of the ball rather than a midfielder in there. But Stephen Kenny seems to have settled on this system, which means you've got the wrong players in possession of the ball at the wrong time. Like Shane Duffy, as much as he's improved in possession, is not Virgil van Dijk. No. So you don't want him starting every attack. You want Cullen starting every attack. Or, or Andrew Omamadeli, in which case you'd be quite happy for the ball at his feet. And it's just that, you know, again, he's only 19. so And he's injured. Uh, that, that was my point. Uh, Stephen in Dublin 3 says, all the talk about how great our keepers are, yet none of them can get near any shots coming from outside the box. I don't think there was anything Queeving Kelleher uh, could have done about that. He, you know, he made a very good save early on. It, it, like Those shots are not the fault of the goalkeeper. Comes out, it hits the post. Like he's got his angles right. He's, it's, he's a millimetre away, so I don't think you can play Kelleher in any way for the goal. As awful as we were on Saturday, I firmly believe that we will win tomorrow and Saturday. I can't wait for the doubters to be silent Silence, says James McCullough. I mean, in fairness, we are playing two of the most heartbroken teams in world football in the next six days. So, Possibly. Ukraine are a far better team than Ireland right now if they go with their full strength 11. That's the but thing. they've played two huge games in the last week. Now, listen, if you're a Ukrainian player, you're going to say, I'm a bit tired. I'm not going out representing my country at the moment. I think that's unlikely, but the manager may make that decision. And that texture is absolutely right. It will silence the doubters. And the way to silence doubters is to win games. MOC says, so some players not fit and asking them to play international football in 35 degree heat. No wonder they lost. Uh, Sandy Zara says, why are Claire and Limerick not mentioned in green together? And Barbalatza83 says, no one talking about the bottle thrown at Tony Kelly as he took the sideline cut to equalise at the end of the game in the normal time. And the disgusting chance from Limerick fans at the end of the game. I didn't hear the, the chance, uh, so maybe you'll uh, update us in the comments. Really? Uh, you know, you can tell us what, what, what they were. Use uh, asterisks for... No, don't. It's a, it's a YouTube comment still, uh, you know, self-police. Anything goes. So, that's the first thing in red. Also in red, I'm surprised. What, what have we got here? The handshake. Wowzers. Uh, this was, yet again, it, it even topped the awkwardness of the handshake in Salt Hill. Brian Cody, Henry Shefflin. Uh, Brian Cody leads Kilkenny to yet another Leinster hurling title. Uh, does he do what every victorious manager has done, regardless of the rivalry? Does he stroll over and just even throw the hand out? Just throw the hand out. You don't even have to be looking at him. You can do the Roy Keane and uh, Mick McCarthy and just turn the other way. But you shake the hand, don't you? No, Brian Cody decided this time I'm going to shake every member of my backroom staff's hand. I'm going to stand around and I'm going to wait for Henry Shefflin to march across the pitch shake my hand, where words are exchanged, and Henry Shefflin, his greatest ever player, his greatest ever player, backtracks, shaking his head and mouthing something. It, this, this is the greatest GEA. Isn't it great to see such warmth between two, two GEA men times. putting the incident to bed? That's, that's what I heard. I, <laughs> that's what you saw, was it? Well, that's what, that's, what, that's what we were told on the telly. It's like, oh, that's great. That's a good sign now. That's it. It's all over. We don't need to talk about this. I'm like, really? 
Because that looks a little bit like there was a bit more to that than normal. The That's great just... shame of this is that they're on opposite sides of the draw now, and unless one of them beat Limerick, we're not going to see Galway and Kilkenny in the Mark championship three. again yeah. this year. Uh, it's hard to get away from feeling Cody has let himself down massively. Uh, Henry Shefflin is his greatest ever player. Uh, just out of basic respect and of all the talk that's been there over the last two, three weeks since what happened in Salt Hill. The easiest way not to have to answer questions about this uh, and his answers afterwards of, I don't care who's in charge of either team. It's not about managers, it's just about players. The easiest way to stop all that is you walk over, you shake his hand, you move on. You don't even need to say a word. But if Brian Cody's doing this, it is absolutely pointed. And it feels as though he's trying to humiliate Henry Shefflin for whatever reason because Henry has gone to a rival county and is trying to deny Kilkenny and All-Ireland, which it feels that this is what it is. I, I, I don't know if it's anything more personal than that, that in Brian Cody's head, you cannot go and leave Kilkenny and try and have another county win an All-Ireland ahead of them. Do you know, do you know if, you're, if you are on the inside of the tent pissing out and you're all pissing out together and then all of a sudden somebody's pissing in, like... I, there's there's a there's a madness to uh, elite sport that we as normal human beings don't get. There's a ruthlessness, and and Cody's ruthlessness is something that he's been praised for relentlessly for two decades. It was like, oh, player who looks to us like he's at the peak of his powers gone from the panel because actually, you know what? We don't know why, but it wasn't enough for Cody. He he saw something in terms of commitment or application or usefulness to the game plan, and he saw an opportunity to make an example of it, and everybody else suddenly an extra 15-20% of training. You can't have that, and you can't praise that without everything else that comes with it. Like, if we think back to Alex Ferguson, the greatest football manager that ever lived, according to a bunch of people, and certainly up there in the conversation with all of the great managers who there ever were, all the way back to Busby and Shankly, the modern inheritor of that. But, like, you would not say... Alex Ferguson was a man without some wrinkles in his character that we all find a little bit distasteful. So, Brian Cody, warts and all, is what Kilkenny Hurling is and has been for the last two decades. And so part of me thinks, like, Henry Sheffield knew what the crack was when he was taking the gig. He did not expect a welcome. He did not expect uh, this is all grand. It's fine that you're trying to steal from us the trophy. And uh, listen back to, to Paddy Andrews talking about there was a bit of hatred there for Mayo they were trying to steal our things we we wanted these they were our medals and Mayo were coming up here to steal them from us like it doesn't make sense right on a, a normal level and Paddy talks about it being a bit cultish but like how do you get to the very top do you think do you think Limerick do you think Limerick don't think the same about people it's just that everybody at the moment is together and there is a, a, a cult belief in their ability to get through absolutely anything and it takes you to greatness in, in team sport it absolutely takes you to greatness but now somebody who was in there and knows everything about them and as it is like you know was managing half the team to Club All Ireland Glory 18 months two years ago is on the far sideline plotting against you from within it must feel a little bit like well not having this it's I'm a compliment to Henry Shefflin because uh, this animosity didn't seem to exist for Mick Fennelly or for Eddie Brennan when they exactly. were coming up against Kilkenny. Exactly, because they, they weren't... Well, what do you want Henry like, Shefflin to do? Sit around managing Ballyhale for the next 10 no, years I, until I, Brian Cady decides I'm done? I'm not... I'm not, I'm just saying that there's a side to this that everybody's like, oh, Cody's a bad man for not doing it. It's like, well... But he, he gave you all those All-Irelands and you were happy enough to go and celebrate those and you actually loved them. You lapped them up. Well, Frank Cody's clearly absolutely just one-eyed in this. Like, there is no major question mark in his head as to... Uh, he he didn't take a step back in any way. Like, he didn't think, you know what, all that criticism, all that stuff that's been in the papers, I just can't be dealing with it. It's a sideshow. I'm just going to go over and shake his hand and we can all move on. No, 
I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to make it an even bigger thing. Like, all I want to see now is go away against Kilkenny again as wait. soon as possible. Because, and I know, was it Nicky Brennan said, oh, they should go and shake hands, a public handshake before the game. Ah. Uh, you know, there's gills. Heard from a few Kilkenny players since then that that was the last thing that was ever going to happen. And I would suspect that most, as you say, most of those Kilkenny players who know Brian Cody have seen him aren't in any way surprised that this is how it ended up, that this is how Cody reacted. Yeah. Yeah, and look, you know, uh, it's a long road and no turning. Henry Sheffield's going to have another opportunity next year in the championship, twice more than likely to um, to be the big dog. And that's how it's going to be. I, I I do think it means that we are going to see longer Shefflin in Galway. You know, <laughs> I can't see him walking away at the end of the year going, "Oh, the travelling got to me." It's like, right? Does does Cody does Cody then anoint Henry? Say that again. Sorry, Cody anoint Henry at the end of all this. No, no, no. He stood no. up to me. Oh, maybe, maybe. It's like, uh, you know, all the rest of them, they all went up and, and took easy jobs. I don't know. I mean, will Eddie Brennan be in with a shout for the Dublin job? Would that be? Are they imagine he is. challenging enough to um, to piss Cody off? I don't know. But either way, it's going to be interesting. It's the ultimate insult for your county's hurlers if Cody shakes the hand of your manager. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's in red. The handshake is in red. Or it could have been in green. I suppose you uh, yeah, could definitely put it in green there. If if you're of a mind that likes narrative. What's in the amber? Amber. Mayo and amber. Ticking for, along. Forever calcified in amber. A bit like the mosquito at the start of Jurassic Park. I just watched uh, Jurassic Park last night. I didn't. Go on. Quite frightening. Uh, yeah. uh, I quickly discovered my 10-year-old was like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, not as much of a kid's movie as, uh, as I once remembered. But anyways, uh, moving on from Jurassic Park. Uh, yes, Mayo are in Amber for now, but uh, see, even, even next weekend, it's hard to see them moving out of Amber by beating Kildare, is it? Uh, but yeah, they got the job done against Monaghan. It uh, wasn't particularly spectacular. Monaghan weren't very good. Mayo were quite wasteful. They went one period without scoring for 20 minutes. You know, had a brilliant goal chance to settle the game. Didn't take it. Uh, but still had more than enough without being at their best for one of the better teams in the country. So it does feel like a typical Mayo qualifier route. you just got to somehow get the job done, keep hanging on in there, hope the draw goes in your favour as you... And it has. On. It and has. It would, are you happy with that? There were easier draws, like by, by league position, but there's a, like a, oh, revenge for Newbridge or nowhere. It's in Croke Park. Well, now now, we, now Park. we see what would happen. I'd nearly sooner go to Newbridge than go to Crow Park. I know Mayo were the first team out, so you know if it was home, probably would have been Castlebar. But uh, like, why is it in Crow Park at six o'clock on Saturday night at the same time as Ireland against Scotland, uh, when yet again Mayo are somehow meant to travel to Dublin to uh, fill out Crow Park? It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And we're at another situation where we'll have what thirty-five thousand max in Crow Park for a double header. When why not have it in Tullamore or Port Leash or? Don't ever recommend you know going to the Hyde Park for something, but something that's halfway between both counties that means that the Mayo supporters don't need to come to the most expensive city in the world right now to have a Saturday night out. Yeah, um, I, I, like, can you? Uh, is it not just possible to get in the car and go home afterwards? Over at eight o'clock, home by eleven, half eleven. Will you take the old trek back to Ackle now and see how you get on with that. Okay, there? so you pick the most the furthest part. Oh, Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. you know, are there no, oh, listen, no- I, I, I'm I'm sure the Mayo players are delighted at Zincro Park because. You know, they uh, have had more success, aside from the obvious, uh, at that pitch uh, probably than they've had even in Castlebar. And I'm sure they will use the wide open space to take full advantage against Kildare. But it does feel that considering the quarterfinals, I presume, will end up in Crow Park, semi finals will be in Crow Park, that. You might not be going much further than that. Unnecessary 
you, to have you might not be going all that far. games in Crow Park. Okay. okay. Are you feeling confident? Come on, get it out there. Uh, I'm just looking at the odds here. Uh, Mayo 5-2 to on. That's about right. Um, so there you go. That's, that's what I would expect. I would expect. We're all expecting a Mayo win. You know? A Mayo expected a Mayo win. Sure, look. If we keep the ball kicked out, we we'll happy. Exactly, yeah. Making up the numbers. Uh, right. Go on. What's next? We're into green. Are we into green? At Wales. Got to celebrate our Welsh friends. I know, Jared, there's a lot of love for you there. Uh, qualified for the World Cup. The Welsh soccer team, a very different Welsh soccer fan is different from the Welsh the, rugby the, fans. The, the, I thought you were going to put in a word there just for Welsh rugby fans. Uh, yeah, well, they're uh, not as great in number, uh, generally, the Welsh soccer fans. They don't play at the Millennium Stadium anymore. They play in the Cardiff City Stadium. And it's working out quite well for them. So they beat Ukraine. A goal to nil. Uh, it was a cracking game. First time Wales have qualified since 1958. Somehow hung on. Ukraine were all over them for the last 15, 20 minutes. Uh, ben Davies has a sort of Richard Dunn in Moscow type performance where he's in the way of absolutely everything. Wayne Hennessy makes a load of ridiculous saves. Uh, Gareth Bale, uh, outstanding. Uh, what a leader for his team. Considering the criticism he gets for his time in Madrid and the type of character he is, it's insane how he turns around when he pulls on a Wales jersey and how he just raises the level of everybody around him with his free kick Yarmolenko scores an own goal and obviously for Ukraine it's devastating Yeah. who uh, as Dan McDonald was saying manager said afterwards that anyone who played started against Wales won't play tomorrow night so it looks like they are going to make the full raft of changes uh, for that game tomorrow night All right. uh, yes uh, Gareth Bale massively underestimated I put it out on Sunday night up there for best British footballer since Bobby Charlton. When you look at what he has achieved for club and for country. Remember, Wales got to the semi-finals of Euro 2016. He single-handedly brought them through qualification. And then he brings them to the semi-finals of a major championship. And now he qualifies them for a World Cup for the first time since 1958. Is he, is he not a bit of a tribute act at the moment, the Heritage Tour? He's not actually the... The only thing he is, he is, but he just rolls out the hits then when he turns up for Wales. So everybody's happy with that. He's a heritage tour maybe when he's at at Real Madrid. And the speculation is that he might end up signing for For Cardiff for three or four months just to get him to the World Cup. And obviously, there's something going on where he completely fell out of love. But let's not forget, he's won five Champions League medals. And well, I mean, giving him a Champions League medal this year, he scored three goals in the four other, he scored arguably the greatest goal in the history of a Champions League final against Liverpool he won countless other trophies for Real Madrid performed on big occasions for half a decade okay, he's pretty good look what he did when he was with Tottenham did, he was by he far the best player in the Premier League got them to a Champions League quarterfinal you can throw in Kenny Dalglish Wayne Rooney all you want but Gareth Bale should be spoken about in those sort of terms I'm surprised you didn't say Stephen Gerrard did you see Danny Murphy over the weekend saying that the best captain he played with at club level not Stephen Gerrard Robbie Keane Wow. He said Robbie Keane was a better captain. Right, fair play to Robbie Keane. Next, quickly, last green. Oh, Colm has... Uh, it's the Colm, it's the Colm Buick show. Can I, get, can I get five minutes on this show without this lad rocking in? Where's his team, where's his team tune? Yeah, where's my team tune? Well, you're I the producer. About that. I forgot about it. Yeah, I'm thinking out loud here. I need my own team tune. We all need our own team tunes. No, just you, Colm. You're the, we all need in, them. In, in the great tradition of the, the giant... Well, well you see, I'm, it'd also be a nice warning for the listeners if we played your team tune. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, they can come back and they can talk out. But uh, it was Nathan uh, Murphy's idea to have a Rafa Nadal segment in the green, which I think is beautiful for a guy who absolutely hates tennis and everything about it. 
Well, anyway, I know that Nathan was glued to his screen on Sunday afternoon when Rafael Nadal won his 14th French Open title. There he is there, celebrating with the trophy. Look how happy he is. Great to see. At the same and his time, his 22nd Grand Slam overall, making him two ahead of Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer in the all-time Grand Slam race. And for a 36-year-old, he's the oldest ever French Open winner, basically playing on one foot. He had to numb his foot in order to play. And afterwards, everyone was kind of anticipating the big question in the press conference. Is this the end for Rafael Nadal? And he didn't give us that juicy headline that we wanted. He said, we'll see how it goes. His aim is to play Wimbledon, which uh, starts in 20 days time. But he needs to get uh, treatment before that. He's going to try a few things with his foot. Basically going to try and sever the nerve endings to the to the brain that actually tells you you have pain. So they're going to try and cut that out in order for him to be able to get through two weeks of another Grand Slam. But what he did say categorically was that he cannot repeat the pain he went through in the last fortnight. He said he was nearly in tears and pain after a second round win against Carantan Mute because the ankle was so bad. He got through it eventually. But it's, it's, a, it's an amazing achievement and it's easy to take Nadal for granted in his greatness like he's 36 years old as I said the oldest ever winner but he's playing on one foot and he beat Novak Djokovic fair and square in the quarter final I think the the one thing that did help Nadal was in Friday's semi-final against Alexander Zverev which was an unbelievable match it was 7-6-6 all Nadal won the first set tie break Zverev had four first set uh, points and missed them uh, it was so tantalisingly close going into the end of the second set and then Zverev went over on his ankle an absolutely horrible injury he yelped in agony it seems like he's torn several ligaments there so who knows how that match would have ended up but Nadal got through it I think he was very grateful for the early ending in what was already a titanic battle and he was just absolutely way too good for Kasper Ruud on Sunday Ruud um, just idolises Nadal there's a picture of him at the 2013 French Open final where he looks every bit the boy that he was and was just kind of honoured to share the court with Nadal probably paid him too much respect but 6-3-6-3-6 love I think is the second biggest obliteration in the French Open final funnily enough the, the biggest is Nadal against Federer in the 2008 showdown weeks before those two contested arguably the greatest ever tennis match at the Wimbledon final so an absolutely monumental achievement for Nadal I really thought Djokovic was going to win this, but Nadal beat him in that quarter final which I think really was when the tournament peaked that was kind of the worry I mean that's all the way Back seven days ago, it was last Tuesday night. And after that, the, the Nadal-Zverev match was excellent until Zverev got the injury. But the, the Sunday match kind of felt like a third-round encounter because Nadal was just far too good. He's pretty good at tennis. It's fair, it's fair comment. He's pretty good at Roland Garros. Sorry? He's pretty good at Roland Garros. Well, no, I mean, that's not... Over, that's when we're talking not, about the greatness conversation, uh, and obviously we you know, have Nadal and Federer because there's more to greatness than just uh, winning Grand Slams and character comes into it. But if you're looking at Nadal and was it 14 at the French yeah. does that victory in 2008 at Wimbledon how big an influence does that have on your thoughts around who was greater of Federer and Nadal when they're both at their absolute peak yeah I Nadal mean, on grass beats them yeah I like that's that absolutely goes in his favour about talking about the greatest ever I don't have a definitive answer personally I can see arguments for all three but undoubtedly, Nadal beating Federer, a peak Federer at Wimbledon, like, like Federer just dominated Wimbledon as much as Nadal ended up dominating the French Open at that time. And for Nadal to beat him on what was his weakest surface at the time is, is probably his greatest ever achievement. I mean, you think his team are saying that this French Open win is his greatest because of what all that he's had to overcome. Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe this time last year, nobody was saying that Nadal was going to, to come out on top in the all-time race, but he's won, you know, the two Grand Slams so far. He's on for the calendar slam. He's, which is pretty, he's, he's relatively lucky that uh, Djokovic uh, is Djokovic and got 
uh, kicked out of America and then wasn't allowed to uh, go into Australia. So yeah. Djokovic hoist by well, his own petard. Djokovic you would playing say. Wimbledon. Uh, oh, yes, yeah. he's Djokovic. He's allowed to play Wimbledon, but at the time of speaking, he's not allowed to play the US Open. So they could change their stance on that. And who knows if he'll ever be allowed to play the Australian Open again? But he probably will. But you're thinking, look, Nadal. It's a big argument to say he's never going to win a Grand Slam again because of his injury. And then uh, Djokovic is exactly 12 months younger. So uh, this isn't over, this race. Like, let's say Federer's out of it. He's 40 years old. He's on 20. He might add one. He's not going to add two to level it up. But Djokovic has a bit more time on his side and fitness on his side. And the only thing that stops Djokovic is tournaments not allowing him to play, basically. But you said he got a bit lucky, but he still had to beat Djokovic in the quarterfinal. And he did. He won three out of the four sets. All right. So you're saying, Dal, the figures don't lie. He's the winner. Okay. He's the winner on paper, but there's arguments for all three. And we could go on all day about it. Uh, if, you, sure delighted with. if you want to get into the performance rankings, if you disagree or agree with anything that we've done or indeed have other suggestions, like the Munster Hurling final, which for whatever reason didn't make it into the green today, which is kind of disgusting, absolutely disrespectful to everybody involved. One of the all-time great sporting achievements, but you know, you can... Look at the producer. At, at Nathan Murphy on, uh, on Twitter is, is the one that you want to get to for that. Now, we will talk about that in great detail.